0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Psalm 29. Psalm chapter 29. We're going to look at the first two verses. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Uh, Father, these words are as true as words get. All glory should be ascribed to You whether it's by the heavenly creatures that You created or Your creatures made from dust in the image of God. Father, this whole creation, the trees, the waters, everything in them, the thunderstorms, they all are to ascribe, to ascribe glory to You. Father, we know that this is right. Lord, I pray that this would drive every aspect of our life. Father, that as we think of what it really looks like to ascribe glory to you, to live lives that glorify you, Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity this morning, that you would create in us motivations that maybe weren't there before, that You would strengthen weak motivations, that, Lord, You might be glorified by our thoughts and our efforts and our actions. And Father, as we think about the future of Sovereign Grace Church, Lord, I pray that You might grant us clarity this morning. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I believe Sovereign Grace Church, nine years in, we stand at an important crossroads. I really believe this. Nine years in existence at a church, as a church, we stand at an important crossroads. And I believe that as we stand here, our society and our country and our nation and our world also stands at an important crossroads. In the sovereignty of God, I do believe these two crossroads have met at the same time. At the Dakota Baptist Convention we were just at, one of the speakers was from New Mexico And according to the studies in New Mexico, if we're to take the Bible seriously, they assume that there's 90% lostness in New Mexico. And the speaker said, it's likely the same case in South Dakota, which means nine out of 10 people are on their way to hell, which means nine out of 10 People do not know what it means to ascribe glory to God. There are 90 goats to every 10 sheep. And the question is, how might they know? How might they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Who is planning Who is praying? Who is scheming how to bring the light into this dark community? How do you view Aberdeen? Do you view Aberdeen through the lens of 90% lostness? Even though your neighbors are nice and not as bad as neighbors elsewhere? Who is planning? Who is praying? Who is scheming how to be light in this community? My question is simple. Are we? Has it been a concern of yours? Have you been praying? Have you been thinking? Have you been feeling an obligation? Have we as a church been feeling an obligation, a call, Do we see a king? Do we see a mission? Or are we simply singing kumbaya till Christ returns? Are we simply saying, man, I'm glad I have a Savior and we have each other and Christ is coming and until then... We're going to pull back. We're going to pull aside. We're going to be comfortable till Christ returns. We're at a crossroads. If you don't think Sovereign Grace Church can take the Kumbaya road, you're wrong. You're wrong. We're at a crossroads of this. Is this church going to be a fundamentalist church or is this church going to be an evangelical church? what's the difference between a fundamentalist church and an evangelical church? Albert Muller described it this way. He said, if you want to know what a liberal church is like, it's like this. It's like a boat that's in the middle of a big river that can become tumultuous. And a liberal church starts to see the water become wavy. And they say, we're going to sink if we don't get rid of cargo. And that cargo is biblical doctrine. And they say, if we're going to survive in this world that's so wavy, what we need to do is start changing what we believe about the Bible so that we can survive this tumultuous river that we're in. And so that boat stays in the river, but gets rid of all of its cargo. And we've seen most denominations go this way. The fundamentalist church is like the boat that sees the scary waters and says, we better go ride closer to shore. In fact, let's park our boat on shore because it's scary out there and and those people are bad. And so we're going to hide out We're going to sing kumbaya, hide in our corner. And when God returns, he's going to be glad that we didn't touch them. But an evangelical church, if that word even has meaning today, an evangelical church is a church that needs to stay in the middle of the river Jesus said in the high priestly prayer, I don't pray that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that you sanctify them in the truth. My word is truth. So this church can't get rid of any doctrines, but we can't pull ashore for the sake of our own safety and our own preservation. We can't view the lost world as our enemies. We've quit reading our Bibles when we do that. Who's planning? Who's praying? Who's scheming? What I do not mean by this is that we're at a crossroads of becoming a different type of church, meaning our philosophy is changing. That's not true. Here's what Paul says, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. By open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and God's sight. And even if our gospel is veiled and hidden, it's veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Are we? That's the question. We don't proclaim ourselves. We're not deciding we're going to become a program-driven church with pragmatic ideas that's going to be impressive to the culture. But are we doing what Paul did? Are we actually proclaiming to this world the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that's when God saves. Think of Paul. He's in prison. Does anyone deserve a Christian companion? Can Paul sing kumbaya for a little while? But what does he do? He takes Timothy and he sends him away. Why does he send him away? Because he knows what time it is. He knows what the mission is. He knows how the Christian life is to be lived until Christ returns. Do you see the potential danger we're in as the world gets scarier and scarier. Do you see the two routes that we could go? Do you know what your tendencies are? Did you know that there's lost family members in this town where believers in other towns are praying that someone in that town in Aberdeen, South Dakota, would reach their lost family members with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that right? For those Christians to be praying that somewhere, someone in that town, some church would reach out, would self-sacrificially love and bring the gospel to them? Who's going to do it? How's that prayer going to get answered? With what eyes do we see this community? And of the 10% of Aberdeen that may be sheep, let me ask this question. How nourished are they? Are they being fed the Word of God? Are there ministers and pastors feeding them so that they can be strong? Tougher days are coming for us and especially for our children. And when tough days come, the sheep must must be healthy and strong. There's a lot of little children running around this church and do you realize that they are going to need to be strengthened and fed and discipled, unlike American children of the last 50 years? Do you know that? What was God's commission to Peter? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What did God tell Ananias to tell Paul and his commission? Tell Paul he, how much he must suffer for my name's sake? Did you know that Christian faithfulness in ministry has always been incredibly costly it's always been. Costly. This morning, as I was seeking to put words to what this sermon is meant to do, some pastor might say, This is to lay out a vision for the direction of the church. But this might imply that you need to know what faith, that to know what faithfulness looks like, you need me. You need someone with a vision, and that's just not true. You don't need a pastor that saw a vision. You can know what God has called you to, with or without me. So how would I describe this message? What the attempt to do this morning is? Rather than lay out a vision... Rather, to lay out an opportunity of faithfulness, an opportunity of self-sacrificial love for the good of others, and to show love and obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what this message is meant to do. And this opportunity is one that involves purchasing a building, a tool, you ought to ask yourself questions like this. Is this wise? Is this faithful use of time and money? Does this come from godly, Christ-exalting biblical motives or from human motives? This message has been designed to lay out the opportunity of faithfulness before you and to answer these questions and to ask you to pray about what faithfulness looks like for you and for your family. So as you can see on that sheet that uh, you have in front of you, that, that hopefully you got one of these, you see eight points. And these eight points build upon each other. By point eight, we're recommending purchasing a building. But we want to show you how we've come to the point where we think this is a wise and faithful thing to do. And so if you look at number one, our fundamental purpose is to glorify God. This is the conviction of our leadership. There's probably not any argument out there. Did you know that's the fundamental purpose of humanity? Is to glorify God. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do His name. The thing that ought to compel us more than any other thing in this world is this. God deserves to be worshipped. And God deserves to be glorified. And so often we do not and never does the lost glorify God. And that's wrong. It ought to bother us Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the very purpose for man's existence. But they're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the only way anyone can become a worshiper of God. We're created in the image of God to glorify Him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I tried to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Everything we do as a church, we ought to evaluate through the lens. We are called to bring glory to God. To proclaim Christ. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, as each has received a gift, and you all have as Christians, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. To Him belong glory. And dominion forever and ever, amen. So number one's a given. Number two, we glorify God by being faithful stewards of what He entrusts to us. This was basically this sermon last week. In the high priestly prayer in John seventeen, right before Jesus died on the cross. And he's praying to his Father. We get in on this prayer. And here's, here's how that prayer starts. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, his purpose was to glorify his Father. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then he says this in verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. Well, how have you done that, Jesus? I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The way Jesus Christ glorified God the Father on earth is He accomplished the work He was given to do. And we as Christians need to remember that we're stewards, we're workers. Did you know that? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are to sing kumbaya now that we are saved. It's not what it says. Here's what it says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're to glorify God. Jesus Christ glorified God by accomplishing the work that God gave Him to do. And we as Christians, it's the same for us. That's why God elected you, to glorify Him by being obedient to what God has called you and I to do. How will this community know Jesus. How will they know? Who are we waiting for to tell them? Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's revealed from faith. The gospel is the power of God to save a person and the gospel is also a power of God for that faith to continue. So the church needs the gospel. The community needs the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. And you would probably say, well, I'm not ashamed of it either. But Paul was doing. He was preaching. He was proclaiming. He was scheming with every ounce he had to his own hurt that more would know that they would be saved. Paul did not say, oh, thank God for opening my eyes. Now I know. Now me and my family can sit over here. That's not what the New Testament calls us to. And so because our fundamental purpose is to glorify God and we glorify Him by being faithful stewards, number three, the third conviction we have as elders of sovereign grace is the best place on earth to invest in the kingdom of God is the Biblical local church. The single institution Jesus Christ founded for the purpose of proclaiming His message and representing His kingdom. Jesus set up one institution that carries the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a faithful steward, you do that in the context of of a local church because that's what Jesus has going. Those bullet points are meant to just cause you to say, man, it is amazing. He gave the church the gospel, the word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, church discipline, elders, deacons, evangelists. He gave gifts to every Christians for the building up of the body of Christ. He gave the fundamental thing the church church is to be doing, and that is to make disciples to the church. It's the great commission. Missions to the ends of the earth He gave to the church. So if you're wondering if you're being faithful and investing in the kingdom of God, we're saying the best place to invest is in a biblical local church just to give you a couple of scriptures to show you the primacy Christ put on the church Matthew 16 16 Simon Peter replied you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus answered him blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my father who is in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Everything else will crumble, but the church will not crumble. And the rock that the church is built on is the confession that Peter had. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the world needs to know. That's what we've been given to proclaim. There's a lot of great parachurch ministries out there, but there's no promise given to any parachurch ministry that they'll continue on, that the gates of hell won't prevail against them. How does the book of Revelation begin? In verse 4, Of chapter one, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. The letters given to churches, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are from His throne, and from Jesus Christ as faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom priest to God and Father, and to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That's how Revelation starts. How does it end? It ends like this, Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's incredible. Because in chapter 1, it said God was that. And in chapter 22, Jesus says, I am that. I am God. I am the King. I am the ruler of this world and then here's what he says blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches That's the point. Jesus Christ set up the churches. The whole book of Revelation is for the churches. It's our conviction, the best place to invest in the kingdom of God. If you want to be a faithful investor, it's in a biblical local church. That's number four. Therefore, There is nothing more crucial to any community than biblical local churches. Let that sink in. There's nothing more crucial to any community than biblical local churches. It's not a community center. It's not a boys and girls club. It's not a library. It's not a better city council board. It's not a better mayor. There's nothing more crucial to any community than a biblical local church and many of them. Do you see the need? How do you think our communities doing? We received in the mail a few months ago this magazine. This is sent from an organization in Sioux Falls called Transforming South Dakota. And this magazine tells stories about young children. Here's Cameron from Sioux Falls, South Dakota that's a boy that's in the process of becoming a girl. 11 years old, Cameron. And then there's a story about Alex from Watertown, a girl that's becoming a boy. And this is sent, you know who's targeted? Churches. You want to know what their message is? Don't cause children to commit suicide by telling them that if they want to change genders, they can't. Or that there's something wrong with it. It's not just in San Francisco. It's in South Dakota, and there's a huge push across the entire world, across this country, especially as it's secularizing. And the most crucial thing to any community is a church that'll stand up and shine truth and the Gospel, and the only true hope that there is. Turn with me to Matthew 5. And just to explain the bullet points, it's not enough anymore to say biblical local churches are important. What do biblical local churches look like? They're God-centered. God's Word is devoted to, is delighted in. The church is ruled by God's Word in a biblical local church. It's gospel-focused. It's evangelistic. It's, it, it has a mission-mindedness. It's full of regenerated believers. There's members committed to one another. There's loving humility. A biblical local church is able to biblically counsel the real needs of of real people in our community. It's self-sacrificial and risk-taking. And let me ask you the question, do we have an abundance of biblical local churches in Aberdeen? We don't. We don't. Matthew 5.13. Here's what it says. Y'all are the salt of the earth actually the sv says you are the salt of the earth but it's in the second person plural so think of this y'all are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste taste how is its saltiness to be restored it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet Y'all are the light of the world. A city that has many homes in it. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your all's light shine before others so that they may see your all's good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see what Jesus is teaching there? If you all have lost your saltiness, and if you claim to be the light, but you hide under a basket, or you're in a dark valley, how are you going to light up the darkness? So I say we're at a crossroads. I say this church could go fundamentalist. Not very hard. Not very hard at all. I think we could say, let's sing Kumbaya. It's getting scary out there. We like what we got. It's comfortable. I'm afraid of what could happen. So let's not get on a hill. Let's not proclaim because then change would come to what we appreciate and love. But we see the need. In Matthew five forty-three, Jesus says something very important. And before we read that, let me just ask this question. Do you pray... For this world, do you pray for your community? Honestly, answer this question. Do you pray for this community? Do you seek to love the lost in it? Or are you more apt to mock this community and to declare war against this society? Have we forgotten the mission? Do we have hate or love for the lost around us? It's a scary question. Because I can tell you it's really easy for me to begin to declare war against the lost rather than pray for and seek to bring the gospel to them. We will either do two things or sometimes as Christians we do both. Listen to this. We'll either seek to inflict the judgment and wrath of God on unbelievers. Let me say that again. We'll either seek to inflict the judgment and wrath of God on unbelievers, or we will leave the vengeance to God and to pray for and love those who lie about us and persecute us. Those are two radically different things that both look really Christian. Do you realize that? The question is, is which one is Christ called us to? Matthew 5.43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If you want to be like me, you won't hate your enemies. You'll love and pray for those who persecute you. If you want to be like me, if you really want to be a biblical church, the drumbeat of what your heart says is not hate and vengeance and judgment on these ungodly people. And then he says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So you pull your boat to the shore, you surround yourself with people just like you, and you sing kumbaya. Congratulations. That's not loving, Jesus says. The world does that. The LGBTQ community gathers together and loves each other that way right and if you greet only your brothers what more are you doing than others do not even the Gentiles do the same you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so this is what God is calling his people to do and then five If there's nothing nothing more crucial to a community than a biblical local church, any tool a church pursues to purchase should flow from these convictions. Here's what I'm saying. Purchasing a tool is not honorable to God if that tool doesn't seek to better bring about the means of the first four things. Does that make sense? This is how Paul lived his life. Listen to what Paul says here. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For, For if I do this of my own will, I have reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my the, my right in the gospel. For though all, I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more of them. What motivated Paul? He wanted to win more. Now listen to this. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though myself myself not being under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Paul is a worker. He's a schemer. And he doesn't change the gospel. But he will seek to do whatever he can to preach that gospel and reach those Gentiles around him. That's, what, that's the context of this. I, and here's what he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might, sh, might share with them in its blessings. And then he says, do you not know that in a race all runners run? but only one receives the price, so run that you may obtain it. He says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel. And here's the second reason. He wants to share blessing with them. Imagine this. Imagine there's a hundred lost people in Aberdeen that because of our pressing out to, so that the word of Christ is known in this community, they become Christians. You want to know what your next three, four, five years looks like? Praising God with them for the grace that has come to them, for the changes in their families. I do it for the sake of the gospel and the blessing that comes, as people know. And then what's the illustration he gives? For those who run the race, you ought to run it like this to win the prize. You should try to win. What's winning for him? Reach as many as I can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What has John MacArthur done? Has he tampered with the Word of God to change it and make it palatable to the world? No, he hasn't. But he's got grace to you that's in all these countries and all over the world. He has pastors from 20 countries coming to his conference encouraging pastors to stay faithful to the Word of God. You see what he's doing? He's like Paul. He's pressing in. We could be a church that just loves those guys but protects ourselves. We don't sacrifice anything. Imagine five years from now, you could keep more of your time, more of your money, buy some stuff with it, have more family time or whatever you want to do with that time or we can sacrifice some of that and be sitting with people that were lost and on their way to hell rejoicing in what God has done with the gospel. When you get to your deathbed, how will you be glad you invested? What will bring joy to your heart and to our hearts collectively? Almost any great work of God's grace comes through self-sacrificial love. It'll cost our effort, It'll cost our study. It'll cost time in prayer. It'll bring about ridicule. At the end of the day, Jesus said it'll cost you your life as you knew it. It'll be like denying yourself and following me. You see, God didn't call you to get into a church that teaches the right things, but then save your life in that church. He called you to join together with brothers and sisters in Christ, losing your life for the sake of God's glory first. He deserves to be worshipped and the salvation of others second. Look at point six. A faithful and wise investment, this is is what we're saying as elders, we believe a faithful and wise investment for Sovereign Grace Church would be to acquire the tool of a more adequate facility. Long-term impact. The leadership of this church wants these little children, we want to think about them 40 years from now but it's going to cost our money, our blood, sweat, and tears. It's our sacrifice. We see Aberdeen needs a church that's going to stand and exist and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's short-term relief that we already experience. Shortage of classrooms, uh, the classroom size, sanctuary. There's limited growth. Uh, without a plan and effort, we have limited hope if we just say let 's just stay here that just means we have no we don 't really don 't have much hope for this community that 's what that means. Of course, we can be satisfied with each other it 's comfortable it 's easy, but we can't honestly say we have gospel hope and just say our plan is just to stay status quo it would be mean flexible and freedom of use we're lacking a visible presence in this community it is true that you and i go to work and we need to be a presence in our individual lives. And it's also true, we need to be a city on a hill. We need to collectively speak to this community. We need to collectively invite people into our church doors as they watch us give all glory to Christ. As we say, the only thing worth living for is Him. Seventh point. It's our conviction that God will supply the means to support His church fundamentally through His people's faithfulness and giving. We've seen this. This has already been true. It's not like we have to believe in something that God hasn't already done. He has provided through His people, and we still believe that He's going to provide through our self-sacrificial time, efforts, and money. to accomplish what God has called us to do. Now, we're not saying this is the only way faithfulness would look. We're just saying we think this is a good, faithful direction forward. I didn't receive a vision. I didn't get to see the sanctuary we're worshiping in someday. We're simply saying all the facts above we believe are true. We don't have to spiritualize it. We can see what faithfulness looks like by looking at Paul's life, by looking at what Jesus has called us to. And we're just saying this is merely a tool. A building is a tool that must serve the other ends and we think it would. And if I was going to give you a verse where God says He'll supply the means to support His church through His people, 2 Corinthians 9 starting in verse 10. By their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the crazy thing. He says by getting this real tangible offering to bring to the saints in Jerusalem, people are going to end up glorifying God. See, that's all we're saying. We're saying let's invest in this tool. It's not about the tool. It's not about the building. It's about God being glorified. It means reaching out and looking forward to our children and our grandchildren in a church that needs to stand in a community that's lost and broken and angry and scared, so scared right now. And finally, we get to this practical statement that just says this, It's our conviction that the RBE building uniquely fits our needs and seems to be our best option. This is our conclusion after much searching, investigation of options, both individually and as an elder board, and also assisted by the building committee, finance committee, architect, roofing contractor, electrical engineer, medical engineer, structural engineer, civil engineer, we're excited about it because of its visible presence, its lot size, the characteristics of the building, the the building size, the building layout. Surprisingly, here you have a building that was never meant to be for a church, but a fourth of it is already set up to where we could basically pull out the carpet and paint the walls and we could have classrooms to meet our needs right now. And then you have all this open space that we could be worshiping in Maybe this fall or even sooner. It's amazing to me the potential that is there. The features of the building, it's, it's, the full multifunctionality of it. it, it provides both short-term and long-term benefits and solutions. It's, think of this. It's a building 100 by 200 that is already classroom ready with a little facelift. It's plumbing ready. It's low-cost renovations, relatively speaking. And it provides the opportunity. This is important for church service projects. We're going to have to get together, take our money, take our time, work together for something bigger than you and me. And that would be good for us right now because I really believe we're at a crossroads. I really believe we need to put our money where our mouth is. I think our hearts need to begin to see this community differently. I think we need to pray. I think we need to remember why we're here. I think we need to see ourselves standing before Christ the King, giving an account as stewards. And we can do it together. So I say, let's go purchase a problem. Let's get us a building that we need to put our blood sweat and tears into now let's do it together I think it'll be good for us as a church I think it's with the right motive I don't think it has anything to do with wanting to be a mega church or or think we're better than any other church if it is shame on us but I don't believe it is and it's exciting to me on top of everything else there's long term benefits. We can grow into the building and the lot. This is just a quick twitch saying, as the leadership of this church, we're saying, let's go. We're saying, you pray as a family. You pray. You talk to your children about this community. You talk to your children about what God said about the church. You pray about how much more exciting it would be five years from now seeing a tool that we sacrifice to get help bring people to Christ rather than you or I have a nicer whatever. That's exciting. And so to end with, we wanted to put a timeline up here. And as we were thinking through this stuff and kind of putting... So why do we think it's a good idea to build? We come up with these eight points. I Right during that time, I pulled Twitter up. The top tweet was a John Piper tweet. And here's what it said. This is as charismatic as you're going to see me. It said, Ecclesiastes 11.4, He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And here's what Piper says. If you wait for the ideal conditions to pursue your God-given dream, you'll go to your grave a fruitless dreamer. Let me ask you something. How many conflicts do you think grace to you, John MacArthur's radio ministry, how how many hurdles stood in their way? How many scary moments stood in their way, but they pressed through them? They saw the need. Is there ever a perfect time? Okay, so November 1st, we're asking the people to give directly to the church rather than to a capital fund. Here's what we're saying. We need money to purchase the RBE building. We're asking that you give those funds just into the offering. And the reason why is we think God it glorifies God as we give through the church. Rather than sit there and say, should I give to the church or should I give to a building? We don't give to a tool. We give to a church that's collectively, wisely trying to seek how to go forward. And here's what we're committed to as leadership. As the church's checking or operating account exceeds above $50,000, The rest of the funds will be transferred into our capital account. So the church has an account already. I believe it has about $200,000 in it. And part of that is money that came over with Fairview. And, and it's money we put into it. And right now in our checking account, we're going to be able to put around $80,000 right into that. Uh, fund immediately so our capital fund would go up to $280,000 so as you and I give to the church and our checking account exceeds $50,000 whatever it exceeds is going to go over to the capital fund because we we want to prioritize we want uh, the the desire to purchase this tool does that make sense? if it doesn't you can ask us Uh, afterwards we're asking you to pray about giving above and beyond your normal giving as you have the ability now here's what i would say we would like to purchase the building before march it'd be awesome if we could purchase it in january or february and if your family is in position to give a special gift above and beyond your normal church giving before the first of the year we're asking that you would pray about doing that so we could move forward in purchasing the building. Now, one of the things we're so thankful for is this. A year ago, a year and two months ago, we presented this. And we said that a lot of our money came from a few of our families. But what we've seen over the last year is we've seen more unit givers. We've seen God working in the hearts of the people beginning to become faithful givers in the church. And that's one of the things that we were praying we would see God do. And we saw that. And we're thankful for that. Uh, March 1st would be our goal of purchasing the RBE building. That'd be great if we could do that before it. And we think we could be in fall of 2021 if we could purchase it in March 1st. We could already be worshiping less than a year from today. Um, This would be maybe the purchase strategy. This isn't in stone. There's other ways we could do it. This would be uh, one way. Once the church funds are able to purchase the RBE building plus have 300000 plus in renovation money in hand, the church will make an offer on the RBE building. So if we could purchase the building and have $300,000 in our pocket for renovations, we would view that as let's go get it. Let's go get the building at that point. For example, if we... If God blessed us enough to purchase this building at 650,000, we would need to raise get 950,000 in our capital account. Does that make sense? And if we bought it for the asking price, 950,000, we would need 1.25 million in order to go purchase the building. Now this doesn't mean that we couldn't borrow. That could be a potential, but this would be a non-borrowing method of purchasing so if you consider a lower income renovation strategy let's say we raise enough to buy the building but is less than a million extra could be 300,000 it could be 500,000 here's how our strategy would be to get into the building this strategy is employed employed if we raise if amount raised allows for the purchase of the building with an excess of 300000 to 1000000 million, we'd purchase the building, we would use 300 plus to get into the building within six months of purchase, prioritizing the more immediate needs. So this is like scratching and clawing to get into the building. It's not going to be a finished product. It's going to be a work in progress. As our account gets above $50,000, our checking account, well, now we're able to do the kitchen, or now we're able to do this classroom. But the idea is, we get in, um, prioritizing immediate needs, the church member labor and projects would be needed, and SBC mission groups welcome. So the more lower income strategy would be, we're going to chip away at it, we're not going to enter into a finished building, but, we're going to do it as we as we go. And here's why I like it. Every Sunday we walk into a less than finished building. Praise God for that. Because now, as I consider what does faithfulness look like, it would really be nice for our, our kids to have this classroom. It would really be nice to be able to, to do this. Well, as we exceed 50000 in the capital fund, we get the money to do that. Praise God, we're able to do it. And it's not a one-time thing. What we're learning is faithfulness for the good of others and the glory of Christ. So let's purchase the challenge. Um, uh, as Yeah, I, I basically explained that. And the other thing is we would put the Fairview property up for sale. So if that sold, let's say, for 300000 next week, now we would have 500000 in our capital account. And then the higher income renovation strategy might be similar to the low income strategy, but provide the ability to renovate more of the building at once and possibly with more professional help. So our idea is we would hire someone who would be paid. And I mean, this person could possibly come from within our church even that would head up, it it would be the in charge person of even any of our uh, labor that we would give as lay people to it, uh, they would be in charge of hiring, you know, whatever electrician work or whatever we needed. And I'll tell you this: this is encouraging. And then I know we're getting long here. When the congregation approved the budget for 2020, we also shared with you how much additional money it could take to operate our own building. This is the day-to-day costs. So this would have been a year ago. We challenged the congregation to give as if they were trying to pay the expenses of owning a new building. And we tried to project how the cost increase might come. The good news is, is that giving is up. And this is through COVID-19. This is through a rough year. Our giving to date, I think, is up over $60,000 today. There's more unit givers. And we're very close to the estimated amount it would take to operate our own facility. So here's what God has done through you and through your faithfulness. I don't know if I would have bet on that happening a year ago. I don't know if I would bet, knowing COVID-19, that we would be up right now. And someone might say, well, let's see how the election goes. Let's see what happens. Let's, let, let's really be careful here. But the problem is, is all these things we've prayed about, all these things we asked, it seems like we're being thrusted forward. It doesn't seem to be closed doors. There rather seems to be open doors. So we're saying, you pray about it. My family will pray about it. We'll join together as a city. And let's see what the Lord does. All this is Lord willing. But let us at least go stand before Christ trying, attempting, praying for, weeping for, seeking to counsel a community that knows not Christ. Father, I thank you so much for the incredible ministry that we have the privilege to be involved in. And Father, I also thank you that this is a ministry that can't be done in your own strength and in the wisdom of man. And it can't be done by human power and human scheming. It can only be done by a God who does abundantly more than we could even ask or think. So God, we pray that you would take our feeble, less than perfect attempts at faithfulness and that you would glorify yourself and that you would glorify your son and that you might be pleased to save more so that we could celebrate in this dark world with people that have come out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, I pray that you would move now, that you would pull us together as a congregation, that this would be exciting, that as the world rages, we become more secured because we see our king, we see our mission, we see the excitement of it. Lord, do these things in our hearts. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.